the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 15% off on... The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. We start a new book today. I'm going to be sharing with you out of the book entitled Remarkable Miracles by C.G. Bevington. It's a Logos classic book. I'm eager to share this with you because it really will bring us right into the issue Can you trust the presence of God in your life? When I was a young child, I was raised in a very poor family. It was a a blue-collar working family. My father only went to the third grade, and then he had to drop out of school and go help the family on the ranch. My mother was educated. She was a bacteriologist headed up a department of bacteriology in the local community hospital. But our family was a farm family, and we were very poor. But in that poor financial condition, my dad still gave 50% of everything he made to the work of the missions. My father had a very real love the mission field. And so, even though we had very little, the little we had, he still gave away, resulting many times in, in lack, in not having the clothing that we probably should have had, not even having always the food that would have been the healthiest food for us. But I look back, and the treasure that my dad gave to me was the big Bible, his love of the Lord God of heaven, and his understanding that we walk in the presence of God, that never, never are we hidden from the sight of God. Now, he interestingly told me things that I laughed at him about later, And now I look back and I have to laugh at myself because he was right and I was wrong. He would say to me, when I would say, Daddy, the neighbors are going to go to the movies. Can we go to the movies with them? And he would say, No, Raymond, we can't go to the movies with them and I can't let you go to the movies with them because Jesus won't go in that place. 
And if you go in, you go in without his presence, and I won't go anywhere without the presence of Jesus. Well, then I grew up and finally, in college, began to attend theaters and go to movies. And I would laugh at my dad and say how foolish he was. But then the presence of God came to me. And I began to recognize that I could not go in the theater and keep the presence of God with me. I began finally to understand that I could not sit down and watch the television and have the presence of Jesus with me. I began to recognize that there were certain places and things that I could not do if I wanted the presence of Jesus to accompany me. I have become in my life now, finally, very conscious of the presence of Jesus with me. And if I begin to talk in a way that offends him, the presence begins to withdraw. And the presence of Jesus will leave me if I continue. If I become angry, the presence of Jesus will leave me. We're going to speak a lot over the coming days and weeks about the presence of Jesus. You can have the presence of Jesus with you. Most have substituted the presence of Jesus for religion and for feelings of sentimentality. Believe me, there is a world of difference between sentimentality and, and the presence of Jesus. There's a great difference between religion and the presence of Jesus. It's the presence of Jesus that I desire in my heart. That's what my heart longs for. When his presence is with me, my heart is at peace. I'm not discouraged. I'm not in despair. I know his presence is with me. This Sunday, I'm going to be preaching at the National Prayer Chapel from the scriptures regarding the presence of Jesus and what it means to have that presence. But today, I'm going to tell you there are there are three conditions for having the presence of Jesus with you. And you must meet these three conditions or the presence of Jesus will never be with you. The first condition that you must meet if the presence of Jesus is to go with you is that you must deny yourself. You must say no to yourself. You must say no to going certain places and doing certain things that would be offensive before Almighty God. You must say no to yourself regarding lifting yourself up and making yourself a name. You must say no to yourself and humble your heart before God. That's the first condition that must be met if you want the presence of God to go with you. The second condition is that you must pick up your cross. You must pick up your cross. Remember, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So the second condition is that you must take up your cross every day. 
In other words, every day you die to yourself. You give up your ambitions, your hopes, your dreams, and you say, Jesus, order my steps. I trust you. I will walk with you. I will obey you. You pick up your cross daily, and you die to yourself, and you live to Jesus. The third condition is that you must follow Jesus. I'm at this radio broadcast today because I have denied myself. I've taken up my cross, and I am following Jesus. He said, come, and so I've come. I trust him for the finances. I trust him for the strength. My prayer all the way into the broadcast today was, Jesus, I am depending upon you to touch the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, in this broadcast today. See, what I recognize is that there's so much Christian teaching that we've allowed the teaching to wash over us, believing that Christian teaching was the same as Jesus. It's not. Christian teaching, Christian theology is not the same as Jesus. You think the devil doesn't know the theology? You think the devil doesn't understand the Christian theology? Of course he does. And we can be devils while we understand the Christian theology and religion. We can lie and cheat and steal. How many times I've talked with a person so sincere, so eager, lying. As soon as a bit of hardship comes, they lie. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. It's about Jesus, and it's about his precious presence being here with you as you walk day by day through everything that's come upon your life. I want to read for you a passage of Scripture. This is, this is a comfort to my heart. I want to read it to you. John, the 14th chapter. And I've just been living in John 14, 15, 16, 17. These, to me, are the most precious chapters in all of Scripture. Chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. It reminds me of of the passage in the Old Testament that says, fret not. In other words, don't chafe yourself raw with worry. He's saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you want to go to the Father, if you want God in your life, 
you're going to have to come to God through Jesus Christ. There is no prophet, there is no teacher who can take you to the great God of heaven. It is Jesus Christ who is God. He alone can bring you to the Father. Now, you recognize that we believe in one God who reveals himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Before the crucifixion of Jesus, before the coming of Jesus, we had not heard of the Father or the Son. We had heard about the Spirit. But now in salvation process, God is revealing himself not just as God, Yahweh. He's revealing himself as Father and as Son, as Jesus. Jesus meaning he shall save his people from their sins. So the names that God uses for himself are different aspects of his salvation program. So we come now. He says, don't be worried. Don't let your heart be troubled. I want you with me. I hope you just, please, this is, this is in a very simple way the most profound theological statement I can make to you today. God wants you with him. God loves you. Regardless of what has happened in your life, regardless of the sin you have committed against the Almighty King, he's made provision to forgive you. If you will receive that provision, if you will deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus, Jesus will take you to the Father, and he wants you to have that place with him. He wants you to dwell with him through eternity. Now, I'm going to tell you a very simple story today. I'm going to begin in the first chapter of Remarkable Miracles, and it is a biographical sketch of G.C. Bevington in his early life. Now, this man ministered around Lima, Ohio, down in Kentucky, in this area, in the early 1900s, this book that I'm going to share with you was first published in the 1920s. And then recently it was republished. By recently, I mean 1972, with some of the vocabulary updated. This man is a very unusual, simple man. And that's why I want to read you the story. Look, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not complex. It is such a simple gospel that even a child can understand it. We've mucked it all up with big words like imputed grace, and other big words. Don't be confused. This is a very simple deal. It's a story about a man, and more specifically about the man Jesus Christ. 
Now, if you would like, go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. We're streaming live there with video coverage of today's broadcast. You can watch it in production. You'll also find much that would be helpful in your Christian walk there. I also want to invite you to come to the Sunday service. If there's a calling of the Holy Spirit upon your heart, then come and worship with us this Sunday at All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. We're located right next to the Hilton Memorial Chapel on Gideon Drive. Our service begins at 12.30 p.m. You're welcome to come if you're hungry for Jesus. You won't find a show. You won't find entertainment. You won't find great music. You'll find us singing a cappella, very simple, plain service, not gussied up, because we're there to be the church. We're there for Jesus. We're not there for ritual. We're not there for traditions. We're there for Jesus because we want the presence of Jesus to walk with us and to accompany us and to order our steps. So this story is fitting that I'm going to share. Every story must have a starting point. My name is Bevington, which was my father's and mother's name as well. I suppose that that's why I've carried that long name more than 74 years. My father was a Methodist preacher. He used to make men's hair stand straight up on their heads because he liked to preach on hell and heaven. He preached to the Indians in Wynot County, Ohio, and several adjoining counties. He also built log churches and several schoolhouses. This was well before I made my appearance. By the time I came on the scene, my father was filling the place of a backslider. Now, while a backslider, he was blacksmithing. He was wagon building. He was working as a carpenter at Little Sandusky, Ohio. He had backslidden over a barrel of soap. Mother had held on to her God, however, and had prayed faithfully with the, with the children. Her prayers had much to do with the afterlife and with our finding God and keeping him. That's the issue, by the way. It's not just finding God, it's keeping God. And this father of Bevington did not keep God because he walked in pride in his heart. He became a backslider. The most beautiful feature of her life was not seen until after she'd gone, after she'd been laid beneath the sod. And then... Every aspect of her life seemed to stand out on every corner of the crossroad at signboards pointing out the right direction. Now, you may wonder, what happened that Father backslid? Well, he backslid over a barrel of soap. Satan can use almost anything to get a preacher to backslide. And by the way, there are lots of preachers preaching every Sunday in the pulpit who are backslidden. I hope you understand that. Well, during the time Father was building churches and schoolhouses, where the people were too poor to do so, they 
for themselves. He took pledges from them, pledges of meat and corn and wheat and potatoes and so forth as payment on the church building. One man promised him a barrel of soap. And, of course, Father expected that soap. But the man never delivered it. Soon after this man broke his word, Father settled in Little Sandusky, Ohio. This same man came to live in the area where Father was preaching. After this matter had run on as long as Father thought it ought to, he went to the man and demanded that this man pay up or be put out of the church for being a liar. Father concluded that if the man was not fit for heaven, he was not fit for the church that Father pastored. But as this man was a good-paying member and a class leader, the congregation put the matter to a vote with quite a majority voting to let him remain. So Father handed in his resignation as pastor and never went into the church again. Of course, after this, he backslid. Our home remained open to preachers as long as they did not disagree with Father. And into our home they came. I've always supposed every one of them said, He's an old friend of mine. I'll go and get him back into the church. I remember being in the blacksmith shop one time when the preacher who was conducting the quarterly meeting came to draw Father over to the church. He was using very tempting bait, or so it seemed to me, but Father grew tired of the preacher's discourse and finally said, You know, this whole thing reminds me of an incident that occurred when I was a boy. We had a neighbor, a farmer, with three sons and two daughters. All were married except for one, Jim, who was considered quite foolish as he'd never been able to attend school. After the father and mother were laid beneath the sod, these children concluded to divide the property and the stock. Jim was so weak-minded, the others believed that they could easily dupe him, especially out of the stock. They had a lot of sheep, quite a number of which were poor and bony, scrawny and old. They said, now Jim has that pet sheep of his that he's raised, and we know he would never part with it. So let's take all the poor sheep and put them in a pen with his pet and tell Jim to go ahead and look at all the pen sheep and make his choice about which pen of sheep he wants to keep. They supposed, of course, that he would take the pen with his beloved sheep in it. So Jim went and looked at all of them, and and at the last pen, there was his pet. As he looked over the fence and he saw his dear pet in there, he said, Mickey, we've been together for three years. We've eaten out of the same dish, we've drunk out of the same pond, and we've slept in the same bed. We've had many good times together, but Mickey... You've managed to get yourself in such bad company, we're going to have to part. So Jim selected a pen of the choicest sheep. Father then said, That's the condition here, bad company, and we can't fellowship. We part as Jim and Mickey did. Oh, how Father laughed as he told that story, 
No one ever got him back in the church. Not in any other church either. Satan indeed comes up with some pretty reasonable excuses as viewed from the backslider's angle. I know that the only hope for me is to keep in the middle of the road and never backslide. That way Satan can't get a hold of me. I want to stop a minute and just ask you the very honest question. Have you backslidden? Are you a backslider? Were you one time a follower of Jesus, but now you followed the lust of your own heart? You followed the pride of your heart? You were hurt sometime in the past, and you have bitterness in your heart, or you just have grown cold, and you've backslidden, and the presence of Jesus no longer accompanies you. It's interesting, I... I heard the testimony of one man who had walked in every kind of evil wickedness. He'd walked in drugs, he'd dealt drugs, he'd been to prison. He'd walked in every kind of wickedness, every kind of sexual uncleanness. But he said all the time through that wicked time of his life, the Holy Spirit kept calling after him. I want to make a distinction here. Finally, he heard the cry of the Holy Spirit in his heart, and he came to church, and he dropped down on his knees, and he repented, he confessed his sin, and then the presence of Jesus came to him. There's a difference between the calling of the Holy Spirit to come and follow Jesus and having the presence of Jesus in your life. Don't mistake these two. The Holy Spirit is like the hound of heaven. He comes crying out after you, calling you to repent. He comes constantly confronting, calling, until finally a man's heart can become so hard that he'll forget all about it, and he'll close the Holy Spirit out. And then suddenly he'll meet a righteous man or woman. And suddenly the Holy Spirit is there in a flame again, calling after him, calling after her, saying, don't walk in your bitterness of heart. Don't walk in your wickedness. But come and follow me. I'll take you to Jesus. When a man or woman is willing to finally begin to repent and turn from their sin, the blessed presence of Jesus comes. Now, I'm making such an important point about this because many of you have the Holy Spirit calling after you and you have mistaken that for the presence of Jesus. It's two different things. Many of you feel because the Holy Spirit is calling after you that that means Jesus must be with you. Wrong doesn't work that way. The presence of Jesus does not come to a person until they've met the conditions. The conditions are you deny yourself, you take up your cross and you follow Jesus, and then Jesus comes and accompanies you. And then he orders your steps. He says, go here, do this, do that. Don't go there. Don't say that. Walk this way. 
and suddenly the presence of Jesus begins to move with power in our lives. But many of you, because you have religion, think you have the presence of Jesus, and it's not the presence of Jesus. It's the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit calling you to Jesus. And if you don't respond to that call and go to Jesus, and the judgment day comes, you'll be cast into hell as one who would not respond to the call of the Holy Spirit and go to Jesus and have your sins washed away. Am I making sense to you? Now I'm going to give you a phone number. You're welcome to call. I'm in studio. If you're a backslider, I'd like to talk with you. Or if you're not sure if you're a backslider because you've been trusting the Holy Spirit's conviction in your heart to be Jesus, let's talk about it. You understand, many of you are going to be afraid to call because you still love the world and you're afraid of talking with me because I might confront you with your sin. Well, don't be afraid that I'll confront you with your sin. Just know that I will. That's how it works. We turn to Jesus. So, Our phone number is 877-534-0780. If you're a backslider, would you call right now and let's talk together about this backslidden condition of your heart and let's get you set on the right path. 877-534-0780. Or if you're walking with the presence of Jesus and it is sweet, his presence is sweet to you, and you'd like to testify that I'm walking in the presence of Jesus and his spirit is with me and his presence is with me and joy has filled your soul, then call and bear that testimony. It'll encourage others to listen to the Holy Spirit and turn away from their sin and follow Jesus. It's the blessed presence of Jesus that I must have constantly in my life or my soul is disquieted within me and I'm in trouble. Our phone number is 877-534-0780. Phone lines are open. I'm waiting for your call. Now, I would just wait in silence or play a piece of music. Why don't we do that? Eric, there's a piece of Jesus, or all of Jesus, none of me. Let's play that by Conlon Carter from Times Square Church. Whisper, all 
of Jesus, none of me. All of Jesus, all of Jesus, all of Jesus, none of me. Is that the cry of your heart? All of Jesus, none of me. Are you a backslider? Have you backslidden in in your behavior into wickedness? Are you a backslider? If you are, call right now, 877-534-0780, and let's talk about it. This man's father, Mr. Bevington's father, would not humble his heart. He would not repent of his sin. He hung on until he finally passed and was laid, as Bevington says, under the sod to face the final judgment. Don't wait until you're laid under the sod. It's too late then. Then you go to judgment. It's given to every man to live once and then face the judgment. This is it. This is, this is the only journey you're going to make through life. This is the real deal. Are you a backslider? Has your heart grown cold? Is there ice in your heart toward the Lord God of heaven? Can you hear the Holy Spirit 
calling after you. Can you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit calling after you? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? 877-534-0780. I know we're accustomed to the radio just talking, and we can turn it on and off, and it's not personal. But you know what? With me, radio is very personal. I've spent a great deal of time and energy and money to be able to come and just talk with you. And I'm right now asking you the honest, upfront question. Are you a backslider? And if you are, and you desire a change, then call right now. I'm waiting for you. 877-534-0780. The Holy Spirit is telling me that there are quite a number of you who are backsliders, and you're listening, and you're real shy about acting because you know it means a change in your life. So I'm waiting for you. What would you like to do? Are you a backslider? Have you turned away from Jesus and been captivated by the world? Well, I'll read a little more to you today. Bevington writes, I was born quite unhealthy, never went to school until I was ten years old. I had a disease that baffled all the physicians. Father, having a drugstore in connection with his other work, had studied medicine. He concluded that he was going to take me out to an uncle who lived near a tamarack swamp in Indiana. He believed that by chewing the tamarack gum, I would be cured. So Mother fixed me up when I was 13 years of age, and I went out to my uncle's. I chewed and chewed that gum, and sure enough, it cured me in less than a year. I prospered in health, becoming strong and healthy. I got so strong, I decided I would fool my father, whose rules I considered quite unreasonable. You know, boys often think they know more than their parents, and I decided he would never put his rules on my back again like the older boys. So I foolishly ran off from my uncle's and went to Michigan. The point I'm coming to here focuses on the indelible impression my mother's life and her family prayers made on me. I could never get away from either one. Fifty-nine years ago on Christmas morning, I started down the pike in the snow that was knee-deep to walk nearly 20 miles to Kendallville, Indiana. I had a pair of overhauls and one shirt wrapped up in an old-fashioned colored handkerchief, which constituted both wardrobe and suitcase. My pockets contained $1.25 saved from having washed sheep the previous spring for a neighbor. I'd even managed to save this precious sum over the 4th of July, and all through the fall and winter for such a time as this. I arrived at Kendallville near daylight and found a train about to embark for Elkhart. I purchased a ticket, 
and then paused in an alley to count my remaining funds. I had only 45 cents left. Since I would still have 16 miles to go to Edwardsburg, then 12 miles beyond to Cassopolis, I had to go a little slow with my money, but I was hungry. I went into a grocery and got some bologna and cheese. I must have presented quite a picture with a hunk of cheese in one hand and a piece of bologna in the other, and my handkerchief suitcase tucked under my arm. And there I was, stalking importantly down the main street of Elkhart, Indiana, the largest town I'd ever visited. The sights in the windows and the busy folk running here and there were all new to me as I chewed on my cheese and my bologna. I felt a gaping in spite of trying to appear worldly. I must have been a laughable scene to any passerby. And as I gawked, suddenly I heard someone call out, Hello, bub. That was the name some had called me at my uncle's. My name, Guy, seemed difficult to remember. So bub was what I usually went by. Now I was terrified to hear it. I never stopped to see who'd called. I just struck out up the street on a run. I suppose someone had picked up my trail and followed me that far to take me back to my uncle's. I ran like a trooper, even though the man shouted, Wait, I won't hurt you. I ran as hard as I could, but he and several others managed to head me off and corner me with my cheese and bologna and suitcase. After persuading me that he'd never seen or heard of me before, he finally convinced me to go with him. I was cold and still hungry, and obviously a stranger in the sights in Elkhart. So I went when he invited me back to his house. Upon entering the house where his wife was eating breakfast, he said, Mama, here's our boy. I just found him. She came over and took off my cap for a better look. Then she brushed my hair back and gently kissed me. It was that kiss that did it. I had, no, I had not had such since I'd left home over a year before. I broke all up, but I was so bashful and shy, I could not show appreciation of any motherly affection. Although she relieved me of my cheese and bologna and bandana suitcase, they could not relieve me of my embarrassment that I was suffering. I was miserable in their presence in that home, but she, she did get me to eat a good breakfast. Anxious to get out from under this terrible strain, I spied a nearby empty wood box and asked their permission to fill it. I rushed outside when the man pointed the direction of the woodhouse. I sawed and split wood until they came out and asked me to join them for dinner that evening. Immediately uncomfortable again, I felt unworthy to go back into that fine kitchen and sit at that nice table. I began to stammer out excuses like other people did. They listened thoughtfully at first, and then the man called, Mary! come out here, will you? You know, I have to tell you, I'm very much in sympathy with what he's going through. In my home, we were very poor. We did not have a tablecloth on the table. None of our, none of our dishes matched and none of our silverware matched. It was just cheap stainless. But I went to mow grass for a woman by the name of Marjorie Stambaugh. 
and after I had mowed the grass for her, she brought me into the house, and she gave me a $5 bill, which was like a treasure. And then she said, Now, Raymond, you're going to eat with us today. And she took me to the table. I said, No, I can't eat there. Well, Raymond, go wash your hands and your face, and then come sit down. We're going to eat. I was terrified because there was a tablecloth and there was this wonderful blue and white dainty china. It was a, I don't know what it's called, but you'll know as soon as I describe it. It was china with pictures of, of ships. It was oriental. She finally convinced me that I was to sit down, and I sat down with these four elderly women who all looked with me at such delight, and I was so embarrassed. But they finally convinced me to begin eating after a blessing. I understand what this young man was going through. A rosy-cheeked girl about my size and age came bounding out of the house toward us, and she was laughing and smiling as she rushed up, and she took hold of me and began to hug me, and then she kissed me on the cheek. You will come in, won't you? We all love you. She got me started, and I found my feet moving toward that house. I wondered what what in the world had made them love me. No one but mother had ever used that expression toward me before. I knew this lady was not my mother, but I stumbled inside and ducked into a corner. Mary finally persuaded me to sit down at the table by saying, Now, I'm your sister, and you're my brother. Come sit down right here by me, and Mama will give us some fine buckwheat cakes and maple syrup. Well, the cakes and Mary were quite inviting. I wished I could only have the cakes and syrup out in the woodhouse. But there I was, and what could I do? And such fine linen was on that table, and real folks, real forks, real knives— They were something I'd never seen or heard of at home. I managed to eat something after Mary kindly cut it up for me. She was very nice, but I was suffering untold agony. Boy, these days are further advanced. Boys these days are further advanced at the age of eight years than I was at 14. And as soon as I dared, I got up and blundered out. I hurried outside to the woodhouse. I brought up wood until I had it piled all the way up in the box. I saw the empty water bucket and filled it, as well as the kitchen tea kettle. These were the things I knew I could do for Mother. She had drilled these tasks into me. I always found it to be helpful in the work of the Lord to be helpful. I've been able to hold meetings in homes that otherwise could not have open to me if I had just come to preach, but because I would chop the wood outside and carry the water and help out, they let me in for the work that I could do, and that gave me a chance to preach the gospel to them. Many of these people never heard the real message of the gospel, for they'd been brought up on meeting house crumbs with never a square meal issued to them. Boy, that sounds like many of you. Many of you have 
grown up on meeting house crumbs, on church crumbs, but you never sat down to a real meal on righteousness and forgiveness and repentance. Never sat down to a real meal on the presence of Jesus and meeting the cost. Well, back to my dilemma. As far as my mother knew, at this time, I was still at my uncle's as a boy should have been. But her her prayers were not confined to that tamarack swamp in Indiana. They were focused to me, and that meant wherever I was, those prayers leaped the bounds of my uncle's house as soon as I did and followed me every step thereafter, as you will see. God always hears a mother's prayers. And, oh, I praise God for a praying mother. I kept on sewing, sawing wood all day as I struggled with many of the thoughts I had. I'd not told these nice people who I was or where I'd come from, although they'd tried every conceivable scheme to find out. I just would not tell them, as I was afraid it was some kind of scheme to get me back to my uncle's house. When late afternoon came, I was pretty homesick, and I decided to crawl behind the large stove and curl down for a nap. But Mary soon bounced into the door from school, and the first thing she cried out was, Where's my brother, my twin brother? Where is he? Spying my shoes, she pulled me out from behind the stove and then out into the yard to play ball with her. And when supper was called, I mustered up the courage to go inside without so much persuasion as before. But as soon as supper was over, I was back behind that stove. When the dishes had been washed and put away, Mary grabbed me by the feet and pulled me out again. The next thing I knew, I was in the parlor singing along with some of the good old Sunday school songs that my mother had taught me. And the more I sang, the bigger the lump grew in my throat. Then I started to cry, much to my embarrassment. And seeing my embarrassment, Mary changed her tactics and got out a picture book. The next thing I realized, Mary pulled everything out of me, pumping me dry. She got my first and my last name, where I'd just come from and where my people lived. Mary's father had been listening, and although he was not a Christian, he felt the proper thing for me to do was to return to my uncle's. Well, I refused to go. I was afraid to go back, and I had no money to go back. Well, the man said very kindly, I'll give you money enough, and you don't need to pay me back. But I refused. I did not want to go home. I didn't want to go to my uncle's. I was too proud to do so. He then said he would give me a ticket to Upper Sandusky, which was no more than seven miles from my home. I said, no. I stayed there that night. In the morning, I made sure the wood box and the water bucket were both filled again. And Mary's father came in and said, Mama, we need just such a boy. Let's try to get him to stay here with us. So they began to make propositions. Finally, he said, All you need to do is sweep out my, my room, clean a few glasses each morning, build a fire, look after the wood and the water, and go to school and share equally with Mary. Then he said, we lost our boy just a year ago, a twin to Mary. Mary says, you are here to take his place as you are so much like him. We have all fallen in love with you. And since Mary is our only child, when Mom and I are gone, all of our property would be yours and Mary's. 
We have a farm out in the country. We just came into town to give our children a better education. When Mary graduates, we expect to return to the farm. But whatever we do, we shall share equally with you and Mary. Well, that appealed to me wonderfully, as it would help me get an education and stay out from under the galling yoke, as I looked at it through my carnal young eyes, of my home's discipline. I went outside and started splitting wood again so I could think. And Mary came out on her way to school, and she kissed me, and she said, You will be my brother, won't you? I need a brother to go to school with me. Well, I tell you, that kiss went further than my chin. But there was one thing that kept bothering me, and that was washing the glasses. What could that mean? Well, I'll pick up the story there on the next time we're together. But again, I have to ask you, have you just got religion? Or do you have the presence of Jesus? I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I want you to have Jesus, and so I'm inviting you to come on Sunday to the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia, 12.30 p.m., and join us for worship at the National Prayer Chapel. You'll find a welcoming people. You'll find a people who love Jesus with all their heart, who don't play games, who know how to pray. Come and join us. I also invite you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find a map for how to drive to our place. You'll also find this broadcast available as a podcast. Now, God bless you. I'll talk with you soon. Before the presence of His glory with great joy, with If you're around my three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.